A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of violent death. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about The Rock. Today's episode combines elements from several Middle Eastern tales, as well as stories from South and East Asia to illustrate the majesty and power of this giant bird of prey. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Mythical Monsters. Every week, we examine the stories behind the legendary creatures that have been terrifying humanity for centuries. Prehistoric people imagined these fantastical beasts as a way of making sense of the turbulent world around them. But the lessons they have to teach are just as valuable today as they were thousands of years ago. Today we're discussing the rock, an enormous bird from Arabic mythology. For the people of the ancient Middle East, this bird was the ultimate symbol of adventure. Encountering a rock was terrifying and exhilarating. It carried the possibility of gruesome death or fantastic treasure. Whatever happened, it would be anything but boring. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. We'll dive into the history of The Rock after this. One of the earliest accounts of The Rock comes from a 10th century Persian traveler named Bozorg ibn Shahariyor al-Ramhormozi. In a collection of sailors' tales titled The Wonders of India, Bozorg described an unnamed eagle-like bird with a wingspan of nearly 60,000 feet. The gigantic bird was said to prey on elephants and came from an island in the faraway land of China, a region of mystery and exoticism for the ancient Persians. The rock wouldn't get its name until a few hundred years later, a 12th-century text tells of a traveler named Abdul Rahim al-Sini. Many Arabic names include the person's place of origin with the prefix al. Since Sini is an ancient Arabic word referring to China, Abdul's name is something like Abdul Rahim of China. Abdul Rahim claimed that he narrowly escaped being killed by one of the gargantuan birds. He said the rock's feathers were so large that sailors would use them to carry water. The base of each quill could hold several gallons of liquid. In some accounts, these special containers were presented to kings and emperors as gifts. And these magnificent feathers weren't the only treasure associated with the rock. Some travelers claimed that eating the flesh of the rock would bestow eternal youth. Of course, catching and killing such an enormous creature was easier said than done. It's significant that many of the first writers to describe the rock were world travelers. The stories of their encounters capture a spirit of adventure and discovery, as well as peril and danger. It's this spirit that made the rock an important recurring figure in the stories of one of the most famous adventurers to sail the seven seas. Sinbad the Sailor. Sinbad woke to the sound of an eagle crying overhead. He stretched and unleashed a massive yawn, pushing himself up to sit against the tree. 
He felt better rested than he had since leaving port. His ship had dropped anchor at the island earlier that morning to resupply and make repairs. The sailors had invited Sinbad to join them in a meal, but he had declined, preferring to wander off alone. After three months in a cramped cabin with 14 men, he was desperate for some privacy. It frustrated Sinbad that he still wasn't comfortable with the crew after all this time, but there was something unsettling in the way the sailors looked at him. Sinbad told himself that it was probably how they acted toward all the wealthy traders who booked passage on their ships. This was one of his first journeys as a merchant seaman. After his father's death, Sinbad had gone on living as extravagantly as he always had, never imagining that wealth could be a finite resource. He'd squandered most of his inheritance in less than a year. Now, the three crates of spices in the ship hull were all he had left to his name. As Sinbad pushed himself to his feet, he was surprised to see that the sun was already low on the horizon. He'd been asleep almost the entire day. He turned toward the beach, and his mouth fell open. The ship was sailing away from the island. It was already far from the beach and growing smaller by the minute. Sinbad flailed his arms and screamed, but it was no use. The crew knew he was there. They had left him behind intentionally. Sinbad's eyes filled with tears as he watched the ship disappear with the last of his inheritance. He took a breath to calm himself and tried to come up with a plan. First, he had to get a grasp of his surroundings. It took only a few minutes to scale the tree he'd been sleeping under. Standing on the highest branch, he saw that the island was fairly large, with lush green hills and dense jungles. On the far end, he could just make out something large and round, sparkling in the orange glow of the sunset. It looked a little like the domed roof of the Al Khalifa back in Baghdad. Perhaps the island wasn't deserted after all. There was no time to waste. Sinbad set off for the dome, doing his best to steer clear of the jungles. Within an hour, he was breathing heavily and dragging his feet. Back in Baghdad, he'd been fit and muscular, but four months at sea had left him as skinny as a teenager. As he dragged himself up yet another hill, the dome came into view again. Sinbad frowned. Now that he was closer, it looked considerably less like a building. It didn't appear to have any windows or doors. It was a featureless white oval sitting at the center of a nest of tree trunks. If Sinbad hadn't seen it with his own eyes, he would never have believed it. It was a gargantuan egg. As Sinbad gazed at the egg, a shadow swept over the island. Sinbad's eyes widened as he stared upwards, struggling to comprehend what he was looking at. The sky had changed from a featureless blue into a river of mottled brown and white. The thunderous cry of a great bird of prey echoed over the island, shaking the ground beneath Sinbad's feet. It was the call of the rock. Sinbad watched the bird circle the island twice before swooping down to settle on the egg. 
It was simply too large to be believed. Each brown and white feather was taller than he was, and the curved orange and black beak looked like it could swallow an entire ship. As Sinbad watched the massive bird, an insane thought occurred to him. He needed a way off the island. He didn't have a ship, and obviously he couldn't swim. Perhaps he would just have to fly. The rock was a popular subject for the travelogues and histories of the ancient Arabic world and beyond, but modern readers will most likely recognize the gargantuan bird from its role in the stories of Sinbad the Sailor. Today, Sinbad's seven voyages are commonly included in the Thousand and One Nights, or the Arabian Nights. But like many of the tales included in the collection, they were originally told as their own separate narrative. Like the story of Scheherazade and the Thousand and One Nights, the original tales of Sinbad's voyages were stories within a story. For Sinbad, the framing device is the narration of a humble porter who sits down to rest outside the house of a rich man and begins lamenting the fact that some men should be rich while others are poor. The owner of the home, Sinbad, invites the porter in to hear how he earned his wealth. Many of Sinbad's tales emphasize the variability of fate. Sinbad doesn't tell the story of his seven voyages to show only that his wealth is deserved, but to illustrate also that he's lucky to be alive at all. Everything he has, from his life to his wealth, came partly as a result of the uncontrollable forces of fate. Sinbad watched from his hiding spot as the rock preened itself, pulling out feathers that were taller than he was and letting them drift lazily to the ground. He'd come as close as he dared to the massive tangle of boulders and tree trunks that made up the rock's nest. Finally, the moment he'd been waiting for arrived. The rock settled down onto the egg and tucked its head beneath a giant wing. It was going to sleep. Sinbad made his way up through the nest, trying not to gag on the rich, musty odor of guano. Finally, he reached one of the bird's massive talons. Sinbad resisted the urge to look up and check if the bird was still sleeping. He unwound his turban and climbed around the rock's claw, encircling it in the long strip of fabric. He pulled it tight and knotted the other end firmly around his waist. Now, all he had to do was wait. As the sun peeked over the horizon, the rock woke from its slumber with a piercing cry. As it spread its wings, Sinbad wondered if he had made a horrible mistake. His stomach gave a sickening lurch as the rock lifted off from its nest. Sinbad held tight to his turban as the bird climbed higher and higher into the cloudless sky. Coming up, Sinbad's luck goes from bad to worse. Hi listeners, there's a new Spotify original from Parcast you do not want to miss. It's called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, and it uncovers the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. 
from torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder. She'll expose the personal and professional controversies you may never knew existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as Richard Nixon, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, JFK, and more. Very Presidential highlights the exploits you never learned in history class, but probably should have. Family drama, personal vices, dirty secrets. These presidents may have run, but they most certainly can't hide. Follow the fantastic new series, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. Sinbad shut his eyes and clung to his turban. He had tied the long, white strip of cloth around the gigantic talon of the rock in order to escape the island where he'd been stranded. Eventually, the rock's movements evened out as the bird began to sail smoothly downwards. Sinbad cautiously opened his eyes. The island was gone. Laid out before him was a scene of almost incomprehensible beauty. From this height, he could see the sandy shallows and deep black trenches of the sea. An involuntary grin spread over Sinbad's features. He'd come on this voyage to make money, but he'd also hoped for a chance to see the world. He had never expected to encounter anything this spectacular. As the rock flew on, Sinbad situated himself so that he was more comfortable. It had been an exhausting day, but the repetitive motion of the bird's wings was making his eyelids grow heavy. Perhaps he would let them rest for just a few minutes. Sinbad's story is part of an ancient Middle Eastern storytelling tradition. Traveling orators earned money by telling the stories of Sinbad's seven voyages. The tales changed with each repetition, as each teller pulled from material and sources they had access to. Some of Sinbad's stories bear similarities to the Greek tale of Odysseus, while others seem to have been influenced by myths from India. The parts of the story that deal with the rock came from several 10th century Persian works, recounting the adventures of merchants who traveled through China. Several of these stories featured sailors who happened upon rock eggs while stranded on deserted islands. These may have come from an even older Chinese legend about a bird called the Peng. Stories of the Peng date back to the 3rd and 4th centuries BCE. Like the early stories of the rock, the Peng is enormous and has associations with eternal youth. But the detail that most clearly connects the two birds is the hollow shaft of the bird's feathers that can be made into a water bucket. This peculiar detail is repeated in several Persian stories and definitely ties the rock to the legend of the Chinese Peng. The main difference between the two birds is the relationship between it and the storytellers. To the Chinese, the Peng was a local myth. It was part of their own culture. For the Persians, the rock was largely a foreign creature. It was a symbol of exoticism and excitement, a promise of a mysterious land beyond the horizon, brimming with adventure, danger, and treasure. 
Sinbad woke to find himself hurtling toward a rocky desert. He felt the turban jerk painfully against his waist and realized with relief that he was still attached to the bird. He wasn't falling, the rock was just descending rapidly. Sinbad braced for impact as the bird glided down toward a flat patch of sandy earth. He crashed down onto a pile of rocks and dirt. Sinbad scrambled to his feet and fumbled with the knots in the turban. He had just pulled them when the rock gave another earth-shattering cry and lifted off, showering him in rocks and sand. Sinbad looked around. He was at the bottom of a deep canyon. The steep sandstone walls loomed over him in undulating ripples of pink and orange. They looked almost like they were glittering in the afternoon sunlight. Sinbad only had a moment to wonder at his surroundings before he heard a low hiss from behind him. Sinbad had heard plenty of snakes before, but in his 23 years of life, he'd never heard a hiss that loud. He turned around and came face to face with the largest snake he'd ever seen. It was a brilliant emerald green, and when it opened its mouth, Sinbad saw that its fangs were taller than he was. He closed his eyes, expecting to feel those enormous fangs close in on him at any second. Instead, he heard a familiar cry. Sinbad opened his eyes to see the rock flying away with the enormous snake clutched in its talons. He laughed out loud. The bird had saved him again. But he had celebrated too soon. The echoey hiss of hundreds of snakes rose around him, filling the canyon. Sinbad watched in horror as serpents began to slither from every crack and crevice. Some were smaller, but many were as large or even larger than the emerald green snake. Sinbad looked around, desperate for somewhere to hide. He spotted a shelf in the rock and darted over to it. It was empty, so Sinbad crawled in on his belly. He looked back to see several forked tongues flicking the entrance. The snakes were too large to fit inside. Sinbad breathed a sigh of relief and fell back against the wall of the cave. His hand grazed against a smooth surface. Sinbad craned his neck to look at the wall of the cave, and the glint of something shiny caught his eye. A few sparkling stones were embedded in the wall where it met the ceiling. Sinbad worked one of them free with a little effort. It was at least the size of his fist. He used it to cut away at the sandstone until a cluster of smaller stones came pouring out. Sinbad examined the stones. They were mostly opaque on the surface, but there were places where he could see straight through to the center of the stone. As he held them up to the sunlight, Sinbad's eyes widened. They were diamonds. Then Sinbad remembered how the walls had seemed to glitter. He crawled to the edge of the shelf and looked out into the canyon. What he had seen was not a trick of the light. The ravine was littered with enormous diamonds. Just then, he noticed something red tumbled down the sloping wall of the canyon. It was an enormous chunk of raw meat. As soon as he saw it, the final piece of the puzzle fell into place. 
Some of the sailors on his ship had told Sinbad about a place called the Valley of the Serpents. It was a canyon so deep that no living man had ever climbed in or out of it. The only creatures that could get in or out were the rocks who fed on the gigantic serpents that lived there. The people who lived in the region had come up with an ingenious method for collecting the diamonds that littered the floor of the ravine. They threw down great hunks of raw beef in the hopes that some of the diamonds might stick to them. The rocks picked up the meat and brought it to their nests. Later, the men snuck into the rock nests to collect the diamonds that had fallen off. Sinbad had always assumed that the stories were greatly exaggerated. Now he knew they were real. He sat in the cave for a few minutes, formulating a plan. Then he stuffed his pockets with the diamonds and climbed down from the rock shelf. The serpents had disappeared again. No doubt they knew that the joint of beef would bring the rocks. He made his way over to the meat and wrapped the end of his turban around it. The night Sinbad had spent on the island seemed almost pleasant compared to one spent lying beneath the shoulder of beef. The blood soaked his clothes and oozed into his eyes. Sinbad kept them open anyway so that he could watch for the snakes. Finally, as the first light of dawn broke over the horizon, Sinbad heard the sharp cry of the rock. Sinbad tightened his grip on the turban as a mighty gust of wind swept across the canyon. Sand filled his mouth and eyes, and he felt himself rising off the floor. Within moments, he was soaring up and away from the Valley of the Serpents. The image of an enormous bird clutching a writhing snake in its claws is a common one in ancient folklore. There are a number of East Asian traditions that feature gigantic birds that fight serpents. Some historians believe that the story of Sinbad and the Valley of the Serpents evolved from the Hindu myth of the Garuda, a massive bird creature who wages an eternal war against all snakes. In the ancient Hindu tradition, serpents represent death, rebirth, and the underworld, while the Garuda is said to be a symbol of birth and life. For Simbad, the journey into the Valley of Snakes can be seen as a sort of descent into the underworld. He travels by extraordinary means to an underground world. Though it's laden with great peril, it also contains the possibility of great reward. This is the deal that any adventurer makes. The diamonds that litter the Valley of the Serpents are readily available to those who dare spend a night among the giant snakes that live there. Whether the night ends in death or riches depends partly on the adventurer. If they're clever and strong, they have a better chance of survival. But there are no guarantees. Sinbad squinted against the glare of the rising sun. The rock was headed towards an outcropping. A giant nest sat on a ledge. Sinbad could see three ugly hatchlings watching him hungrily from inside the nest. As soon as he was a few feet from the ground, Sinbad drew his knife and cut the turban, freeing himself from the meat. He landed on his hands and knees a distance from the nest. After a moment, he rose unsteadily to his feet and shook the sand and blood from his hair. 
Sinbad heard a shout and looked down to see a group of young men emerge from behind a boulder. They stared in bewilderment as he hurried down to them. Sinbad was covered from head to toe in grime, blood, and sand, but he couldn't stop himself from grinning. The tallest man drew a knife and demanded to know who he was. Sinbad replied in a hoarse voice, I was brought to the Valley of the Serpents by a rock. The meat you threw down saved my life. I'd give you my thanks, but I fear it won't be enough. Sinbad reached into his pocket and pulled out a few of the diamonds he'd collected. Perhaps these will serve as a token of my gratitude, he said, holding out the stones. The tall man's eyes grew wide as he took one of the diamonds. He smiled and slapped Sinbad on the back. That's the biggest diamond I've seen in 20 years of this work. It'll be more than enough. The men brought Sinbad to their camp, where he washed in a small river. As he watched the rivulets of grime run off his skin, he kept thinking about the rock. He'd come on this journey in search of fortune and adventure. The rock had provided him with everything he'd wanted. Still, Sinbad hoped to never see another of the giant birds as long as he lived. Coming up, The Rock Punishes Greedy Adventurers. Now, back to the story. Sinbad stepped onto the beach, enjoying the feeling of firm ground beneath his old legs. It had been five months since he'd seen land. Forty years had passed since his first voyage. He'd been on countless adventures in that time and had developed quite an affinity for sailors. But while he usually liked the men he sailed with, his current crew was an exception. They kept to themselves and treated him with an air of suspicion. Sinbad had been disappointed to find the crew so unfriendly. He hadn't come on this voyage for the money. He had enough of that to last 10 lifetimes. Every time he went on an adventure, he swore it would be his last. Then he got home and grew bored and restless. He became eager for new faces and new landscapes. A shout drew Sinbad's attention to the top of a sand dune, where some of his men had gathered. They were pointing at something in the distance. Sinbad ran up to join them, shielding his eyes with one hand. A large white dome rose above the treetops, sparkling in the sunlight. Sinbad recognized it immediately. It was the egg of a rock. Silence fell over the group as they approached the egg. Sinbad had warned them that the egg belonged to a rock and that they should stay away. But the men were convinced that it was some kind of building and insisted on investigating it themselves. Captain Ahmed reached the nest first. Sinbad felt a knot form in his stomach as he watched the man climb up over the enormous logs until he stood at the base of the egg. The captain gazed up at the glistening egg in awe. Sinbad's eyes widened as Ahmed drew his scimitar. He screamed for the captain to stop, but it was too late. Ahmed swung his scimitar at the egg. It bounced off the surface, but Ahmed simply swung again and again. Sinbad scrambled up the side of the nest, 
desperate to stop the captain, before he could get close enough, a loud crack rang out. The slivers of shell fell away until finally a large chunk of the egg broke open. The slime-covered head of a gigantic baby bird fell out. The chick had not been ready to hatch. It gave a few pathetic twitches and gasps before going still. The men fell silent. Captain Ahmed turned to Sinbad and grinned. You were right, sir, he said. It is a rock, the birds whose flesh brings eternal youth, and do you know what that means? Sinbad groaned and replied, It means you have doomed us all. The captain shook his head and laughed. It means it's time for supper. Sailors stumbling upon a giant egg is a common theme in stories about the rock. The 12th century account of Abdul Rahim of China tells of sailors who find a rock egg and break it open to eat the chick inside. Then there are the Sinbad stories about rocks, which both begin with Sinbad spotting the enormous egg. There's a simple explanation for the significant role eggs and infant rocks play in these tales. The Epiornis maximus, or elephant bird, was a species of large, flightless birds that lived in Madagascar. We don't know exactly when they went extinct. The fossil record suggests that the Epiornis may have survived as late as the 10th century CE, but some biologists believe the gigantic birds carried on into the 17th century. Biologists have found fossilized remains that tell us that these birds stood around 10 feet tall and could weigh as much as a thousand pounds. Their eggs could have a circumference of over three feet and provided as much food as 200 chicken eggs. Though the Epiornis was much larger than any avian alive today, they looked somewhat similar to a modern ostrich. Though they didn't share the long neck and striking features of an ostrich, they had the same stunted wings. Awkward and a bit ugly, the Epiornis looked a bit like a gigantic chick. It's easy to see how ancient Persian travelers might mistake it for the offspring of an even larger bird. Evidence of these birds could have made their way to foreign nations, creating the mythical figure of the rock. Wonders from foreign lands were often presented as gifts to sovereigns, and the three-foot round egg of an elephant bird would have been a treasured artifact for the Middle Eastern rulers of the 10th century. The famous 13th century Italian traveler Marco Polo reports that a rock feather was presented as a gift to the Great Khan of Cathay, or Northern China. Though this feather was probably nothing more than a raffia palm frond, it's telling that Polo's account cites Madagascar as the home of the rock. His story about a giant bird that originated in Madagascar marks the Epiornis as a likely source for the legends of these gigantic birds. Though its size may have been intimidating, the Epiornis was actually a fairly mild-mannered herbivore. There was no apparent reason to fear the elephant bird of Madagascar, but the rock was a different story. It took all 12 of the sailors to drag the enormous chick to the beach. Even then, they couldn't take the whole thing. They hacked off the largest pieces of meat, leaving the rest behind. 
The chick's meat was deep red, more like beef than poultry. When the first of the kebabs were ready, the men passed them around. Ahmed lifted up his wineskin and shouted, a toast to eternal youth. Sinbad anxiously scanned the skies. The men cheered and dug into the dripping meat. Sinbad watched in astonishment as the men began to change. Their beards turned from gray to black. Wrinkled faces became plump and smooth, and sagging potbellies turned to firm muscle. Captain Ahmed noticed Sinbad watching him and held out a skewer of meat. Sure you don't want a bite? He asked. You could use some youth more than the rest of us. Sinbad reached for the skewer. He was still afraid of the rock, but the damage was done. Whatever retribution the rock had in store, it would come whether he ate the meat or not. As his fingers touched the meat, a shadow passed over them. Ahmed's eyes grew wide. Sinbad followed his gaze upwards to a sky that had turned from clear blue to a sea of brown and white feathers. The rock's cry shook the earth. Sinbad turned to the astonished men and shouted for them to run. The men bolted for the ship. Screams filled the air as the rock dove. Each flap of its wings sent great gusts of wind whipping through the island. The last of the men made it to the ship just as the enormous bird landed in the camp. The sound it made as it discovered the ruined egg was like nothing Sinbad had ever heard before. It was an ear-piercing shriek of grief and fury. For a moment, it seemed like the cry might rend the very earth in two. The sailors frantically clambered over the ship, working as fast as they could to let down the sails. As the bird let out another cry and flew toward them, Sinbad realized that they were too late. Without thinking, he dove into the water and began to swim frantically away from the ship. He turned around and looked up to see the rock grasp the ship in its massive talons. The men began to scream and dive overboard, but it did no good. The rock flew high up into the air and released the ship. It hurtled down and crashed into the water, exploding into pieces and crushing the sailors who had managed to jump out. All at once, the men's screams were silenced. Sinbad shivered as he watched the enormous bird turn back to the island, its gigantic golden eyes fixed on him. And for an instant, Sinbad was certain that his luck had finally run out. Then the rock unleashed a final cry and flew back toward the island. In the years that followed, Sinbad told the story of the rock many times. He always got the same question. Why do you think the rock didn't kill you? Sinbad didn't know the answer. Maybe it had seen his wrinkled face and knew he hadn't eaten the meat. Maybe it hadn't really seen him at all and it was just his imagination that the rock was looking at him. The one that made the most sense to him was the answer he always gave. He just knew that it wasn't his time. 
The voyages of Sinbad the Sailor explore the way that fate shapes a person's life. When Sinbad embarks on a voyage, he allows himself to be swept along by the tides of fate. It makes sense that a creature as huge and powerful as the rock would serve as an agent of fate. True adventures force those who undertake them to relinquish control and accept that success or failure is not always in their own hands. Just like an encounter with the rock, this loss of control is exciting and terrifying all at once. Every one of Sinbad's voyages begins and ends the same way. He goes back to Baghdad to live happily ever after with his riches, but it doesn't last. Before long, Sinbad feels the itch to travel. Though he knows the danger better than anyone, he cannot resist the call of adventure. The rock captures the allure of adventure, the mystery of foreign lands, and the thrill of putting your life in the hands of fate. It is simultaneously terrifying, deadly, wondrous, and exhilarating, and an experience that can't be missed. Once you've seen a bird the size of an island, everything else pales in comparison. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on rocks, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Rock and the Influence of Chinese Mythology by Ahmed Al-Rawi extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Zoe Luisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. It's the most powerful position in American politics, and arguably the world. But behind the oath to preserve, protect, and defend lie dark secrets posed to leave some legacies in disgrace. Don't forget to check out the new Spotify original from Parcast, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency, exposing wildly true stories about history's most high-profile leaders. To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.